Hello to you. Welcome to the weekend edition of Coin Market Recap with Connor and Molly Jane. Now, I don't know about you, Molly Jane, but before I go to work every morning, I just make sure I've got my sink. <laughs> You're lucky I checked Twitter this morning. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Are you all right? Yeah, no, I'm good. I um, I saw a tweet about that. Actually, one of the only things I've seen because it is my morning. And it was from a journalist tweeting, if you were the assistant that was asked to find the sink, please send me a DM. <laughs> I think he's just trying to say that Twitter's got loads of untapped potential, don't you? I thought it was throw away everything but the kitchen sink. And he's even throwing away the kitchen sink. <laughs> well, we'll talk about all of that a little bit more in a bit. Also this week, Facebook has had some terrible losses as it continues to build the metaverse, and it seems investors are getting pretty fed up about it. Britain has a new crypto-friendly prime minister, but Bitcoiners still aren't happy. Apple seems to be against NFTs and things seem to be getting worse. Molly Jane's been writing about this in our newsletter. She'll tell us more. Plus, a 40,000-word article about crypto in Bloomberg Business Week. Fire Festival. Apparently, 60 luxury villas are being built at the doomed site of the festival and are being turned into NFTs. We'll find out if that's a good idea. And Akon offers an update on his very own city, which is meant to be built in Senegal and powered by by blockchain. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Molly J. Zuckerman and at Connor Sefton. This week's crypto headlines. So really, Molly Jane, there's only one place we can start and that's with Meta. Um, Of course, that's the company that owns Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. You'll remember last year, last October, Mark Zuckerberg made a big announcement and said that Facebook was going to change its name to Meta and start focusing on the metaverse because it's the future. How's it gone? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do feel like we talk about this almost every week, and it's because you would think that Meta would just... It's so big that they could Mm. control the PR narrative just a little bit in their favor. You know, people were so on their side when the Social Network movie came out and the Winklevoss twins looked like the bad guys and Mark Zuckerberg looked like the good guy. But over time, it's like Mark Zuckerberg is a cyborg. (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg has no emotions. Um, He doesn't have any legs. (laughs) And (laughs) they're just, yeah, their PR team isn't doing a good job. Anyway, what actually happened is their quarterly report came out and they've lost another just a casual few billion dollars um, in their metaverse development. How much did they lose last quarter? Oh, just, you know, a few billion. How much have they lost this year in total? I don't know, just nine billion. Do they plan (laughs) on making more next year? No, no, no. Next year, they plan on losing even more exponentially every single year. (laughs) So I know you're talking about trying to control the narrative, but it's very, very difficult to hide behind numbers. And here are a few numbers to choose from. Now, bearing in mind, overall, Meta is still a very profitable company. It's earned $4.4 billion in the three-month period from July to September. That's good, but it's down 52% from the same period last year. 
But the number, Molly Jane, that's got people really exercised is the fact that Reality Labs, that's the division of Meta which is focused on building the Metaverse, lost $3.6 billion in just three months. Like you say, Zuckerberg <laughs> three months. says, three months? How do you do that in three months? Um, and also Zuckerberg says that it's only going to get worse. They're going to lose even more money in the future. But what interests me, Molly Jane, is, I mean, I thought at first investors were kind of like looking at Mark Zuckerberg and his metaverse plans and go, hmm, don't get it. Not sure. But, you know, we were probably skeptical when Facebook first launched and look how that turned out. Let's give him a shot. Now... It seems they've really lost their patience. Meta's share price plummeted 20% in after-hours trading on Wednesday as all of these numbers came out. And some critics now are actually saying to him, listen, you've got to row back. You've got to start spending less on this metaverse. They just they don't seem like they want to. They seem like they want to throw money down the metaverse hole. Yes. Mark Zuckerberg on the defensive, he said, it would be a mistake for us to not focus on any of these areas that will be fundamentally important to our future. And that he says that these cutting edge products will mature in different periods of time over the next five to 10 years. But Molly Jane, I want to read you a couple of quotes One of them is from a man called Brad Gerstner. He is, um, his company is quite a big um, investor in Meta. And he wrote to Mark Zuckerberg and said, Meta has drifted into the land of excess. Too many people, too many ideas, too little urgency. This lack of focus and fitness is obscured when growth is easy, but deadly when growth slows and technology changes. And another analyst said that Facebook was a revolutionary company that changed the way people communicate and the way marketers interact with consumers. Today, it's no longer that innovative groundbreaker. Is is the metaverse going to be the thing that kills off meta? I mean, so many other things have killed off meta before this, I think. Um, it's a relatively unusable platform for people in their 20s and 30s, because it doesn't Mm -hmm. offer any of the functionalities of a social media platform that they now want. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to imagine that if Meta continues this way in, I mean, maybe it sounds a bit unrealistic to say, but when the generation that uses Facebook, uh, Meta, you know, that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, in a few decades when they are gone, if Meta doesn't change and their metaverse is really not helping, then it will, it will just, it won't exist anymore. It won't exist. I don't know anyone that has created an account on Facebook, like a new account, like a 13-year-old's going to go out and be like, I'm going to make a Facebook account. Absolutely not. Who would do that? Well, I don't know about the ages. It is worth saying Meta grew its user base. Facebook's monthly active users were 2.96 billion as of September 30th. That's still a lot of people. And that's up 2% from a year earlier. Well, if it's going to exist, it's going to exist in a different way. Like it's going to exist as a marketplace for selling chairs (laughs) or something (laughs) because it's just 
it's not what it started out as being. And it's definitely not a metaverse. So it's just really, really not going well. And of course, investors are going to be looking at these astronomical amounts of money that's being invested in this Horizon Worlds metaverse. And at the same time, they're going to be seeing these horrifying reports of Horizon Worlds missing user targets. They're going to see reports of Horizon Worlds on quality lockdown, that developers aren't using it, that people who go into this metaverse visit once and never come back, that they can't find stuff that they want to do. It's um, it's really rather calamitous. That's a great word for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, from one, um, I was going to swear then, from one <laughs> chaotic um, incident to another. And ladies and gentlemen, the UK, I'm very pleased to announce, has got its third prime minister in three months. <laughs> <laughs> Rishi Sunak is our new leader. And the reason why we care about this and the reason why we're talking about it on this podcast is because he is pretty pro-crypto. He is. And I I know you have some opinions about this. Mm. Does it matter that he's pro-crypto right now? So I've actually got, got to caveat what I just said there. So... He's pro crypto, yet Bitcoiners still hate him. There we go. <laughs> so, um, so here's basically where we are. Rishi Sunak used to be the finance minister when Boris Johnson was prime minister earlier this year. And you might remember, because we've talked about this before, back in April, Rishi Sunak said that he wanted the UK to make stable coins a valid payment method. Um, a recognized payment method in the UK. And that is actually still in the works. There was a vote on that this week. There's progress being made there. He also wanted the government to release its own NFT. That was a move that was thought of as tone deaf by some because of the crises that the country was facing at the time. So fast forward to now, and you could argue on the face of it that Rishi Sunak becoming the Prime Minister and the fact that he's spoken about the UK wanting to become a global crypto asset hub is a really big deal. And that's a really bullish development for the UK. It's been welcomed by crypto lobbying groups here, by organisations here. Um, But like I've said, you've got those Bitcoiners as well who really do not like Rishi Sunak because of the fact he's been so enthusiastic about central bank digital currencies and Bitcoiners are worried that these CBDCs could be used to control how we spend our money and what we spend our money on. If you get too many flights, you could be stopped from buying more flights. You could be stopped from buying meat, you could stop from buying <laughs> milk, you know, all this stuff. Um, <laughs> no more, no know, meat for you. <laughs> no meat for you. You've already had a burger this week. You know, that type of thing. But here's the thing, even if you're, whether you're pro-crypto or anti-CBDC, Rishi Sunak is not something you need to worry about right now. It really isn't, because there's two things. Firstly, he has got so many other things to be worrying about right now that crypto and CBDCs are going to be nowhere near the top of his list. We've got spiraling energy bills in the UK. We've got a cost of living crisis. We've got a struggling economy. Um, He's got warring politicians in his party he needs to deal about. And as well, the other thing that means crypto people need to manage their expectations. 
his party is currently 28 points behind in the polls after 12 mm. years in power. They've mm-hmm. got to have an election by January 2025. The way things are looking, Molly Jane, he's not going to be prime minister in just over two years unless he has the most remarkable turnaround in fortunes, which doesn't look all that likely. You know, the one thing I will say about him, because I, do, I only really know about him through what I hear from you, <laughs> is at least he's young. Yes, he's, he's the youngest prime minister in 200 years. I just, I really appreciate youth. I'm very tired of prime ministers and presidents in their 70s. So... But surely, though, you kind of want something in the middle, because I get that having a leader in the 70s is not great, but... Critics of Rishi Sunak here point to the fact that he's only been in politics as a as an MP for seven years. He's only been in like the the cabinet, which is our government of secretary. He's only been there for three years, and now he's prime minister. And you could argue that there have been some incidents where he hasn't shown good political judgment. Surely, once of an early fifties, he's got you know a decade or two's experience under the belt. I mean, everything in the world right now is so bad. Why can't we? Why can't this be like our A-B test? You know, we tested 70. It didn't work. Let's try testing 40. See if it works better. <laughs> <laughs> but just back, back to Rishi and CBDCs. This might be an unfashionable view. Now, um, I, I get the concerns, Molly Jane, that Bitcoiners have about CBDCs. I do. And I think that it's really important to keep a very close eye on what central banks are doing when it comes to looking at digital dollars, digital pounds. It's important to read line by line what they're proposing, what they're designing, what are the pitfalls, what are the risks. But you've got Bitcoiners on crypto Twitter talking about, oh my gosh, a central bank digital currency, it would be the end of privacy, would be under the constant glare of the establishment 24-7, we'd never be free again. Hang on. Firstly, Rishi Sunak, in his own words, has said that privacy needs to be a concern with CBDCs. He said that it's important that CBDCs are offered as a complement to cash, as a complement, not a replacement, as a complement. And also, a CBDC isn't even being built yet in the UK. (laughs) It's still being looked into. So I think that to an extent, Bitcoiners are using CBDCs to scare the living shit out of people when there isn't necessarily... A reason to do that yet. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm not saying a country won't design a privacy eroding CBDC. We've already seen one in China. But the dangers are a bit overblown for me right now. What do you think? I think that crypto Twitter loves to shout about perceived wrongs to the industry. And Remember how upset everyone got? What was it? It was the U.S. government released a letter or a working group to Mm. investigate El Salvador's use of Bitcoin. Yes. And everyone was so mad. And my point was, nothing happened. (laughs) They just, they wanted to look. And they didn't like it. And and so be it. They didn't like it. And I just think that 
you know, let's save our anger about the possible um, privacy implications for CBDCs when when something is actually happening. I mean, I could understand their retort saying, let's try to nip this in the bud before it becomes too late to stop it. But I think it's too early. And not in the way that Bitcoiners say, oh, it's too early. You know, I think it's just actually too early. Yeah, it's just... um... I think some of the some of the discourse around this has been very underdeveloped, and more than anything, as well. Yes, I know that he's pro CBDC as well as being pro crypto, and I guess you know that's not good for some people. But surely it's better to have a forward-thinking prime minister who is receptive to the idea of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology than someone who isn't, even if he is in favor of CBDCs. I just, I prefer to be an optimist. And Mm. I just like the idea for crypto that there is a young prime minister who has heard of CBDCs. You know? Let's just see what you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, I just think some people in this space are like, you know, that woman who's got a prized ham under her arm and she's crying because she hasn't got any bread. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, be grateful. You know, think of what we think of what you've got. Connor, and- is this a real comparison people use? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. You not heard it? No. Well, you've heard it now. Crumpet taught it me, so got to be real. <laughs> um, so, um, speaking of opinions, you had a really interesting one in the newsletter this week on Wednesday. Can you tell us about Apple and NFTs and what's going on? Sure. So Apple, everyone has already been up in arms about Apple's quote unquote treatment of NFTs in their app store. Mm. So the background is that a few months ago, Apple clarified or said for the first time, I forget, but the at the end of the day, Apple said NFT sales within apps on their app store, they would take a 30% cut. Yes. Yes. Everyone was upset. Um, and not just, I think, NFT platforms were upset, but just, you know, all platform, all platforms, Web 2, Web 3, that go through the App Store are subject to this 30% cut because Apple believes that it is their rightful money because their platforms are using their platform to uh, to get users to make these sales. Um, and they will not make an exception for NFTs. What happened this week is that Apple went a bit of a step further and said that NFTs on apps that are on the App Store cannot be used to unlock any new features. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because the App Store wants you to use their tailored subscription service for features. So this means what? Your NFTs on an Apple Store app application, um, you can look at them, you can scroll through them, you can sit at them, you can send them to friends, et cetera, but you cannot use them to have access to a pro part of the app or membership to something, or, you know, concert tickets, conference tickets, et cetera, redeemed in that way through the store. And people are upset about it. But my perspective is, why does Apple have to support Web3 development? Mm. You know, when did, who's, Apple is not out here saying crypto is the future, decentralization is the future. Apple is out here saying give us your money. <laughs> we are a web true centralized company and we want to have good profit margins. Um, so I just think it's a little bit too much to expect that Apple is going to start throwing its support behind 
NFTs and making these exceptions from the norm to um, give money back to Web3 builders. I just I don't think that's what Apple is saying. It's not what they're saying by their actions. It's not what they're saying by any sort of words or any sort of press. And I don't think we should expect that from Web2 companies. They're not going to be the ones that are going to push the Web3 adoption. We can't we can't um, sort of project our mentality onto them. I completely agree with you. One thing I would say is, um, obviously, there are um, apps. Many crypto exchanges have iPhone apps where people can buy crypto um, directly from their iPhone. And such purchases aren't subject to these huge 30% commissions. Is there not an argument that NFTs should be treated the same way? There's an argument, but Apple's not listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Apple doesn't care. Yeah, Apple sees it differently. And this is not to say that Web2 companies cannot be the drivers of Web3 adoption. I think there are Web2 companies that are really testing things out. There are definitely some fashion brands that are looking into metaverse fashion, um, some sportswear companies, some sports companies in general that are looking at NFTs for athletes, musicians for concert tickets. But Apple is out here saying, hey, we don't care about this. And so there's that saying, if someone shows you who they are, believe them. So Apple is showing me they're a Web2 company and I'm believing it. <laughs> right. Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> now, we are kind of um, exposing ourselves here, ladies and gentlemen, because are we? we are, because um, we record this on a Thursday, Molly, Jane and I, and the deal for the Twitter takeover is on Friday. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a couple of scenarios. <laughs> um, Molly, the Twitter, the Twitter deal finalized. It, it, Elon Musk owns Twitter now. Oh my God. <laughs> Molly, Jane... Elon Musk didn't get the Twitter deal. Oh, (laughs) what is to be done? (laughs) But one thing we can tell you is that Elon Musk posted a very surreal video of him entering Twitter, carrying a sink, (laughs) um, as the deal, as the deadline for the takeover approached. What's the symbolism of this? And I don't know, I wanted to ask you because... In the UK, there's this, you know, it, it, it's, it's throwing the kitchen sink at something, something you say in America as well. There is throwing the kitchen sink, but there's also everything but the kitchen sink. And uh, I want to see, yeah, so everything but the kitchen sink means a much larger of things than like, so basically it's that um, you're going on a vacation for one night and, and you pack everything but the kitchen sink. You're packing like 17 bags and your friend would say, are you taking everything but the kitchen sink? So we say that too. Yeah. But it's really weird. Like in one case, throwing the kitchen sink means it's a, you're going to give it your all. And yet when you're going on holiday, not taking the kitchen sink, but taking everything else is the significant thing. So I'm getting really mixed messages about the value of the kitchen sink with these I thought it meant that he was saying Twitter was too bloated. And so he was going to throw out even their sinks. Yes. Well, in business circles, kitchen sinking is a term used to describe plans to take radical action at a company. 
I'm so, just watching this video on repeat. <laughs> I really can't. Um, I, had a, I had a sinking feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, his um, tweet is, let that sink in. It's oh, not... Which is such a terrible pun. I mean, of all of the, of all the jokes he could have gone for. Um, I just, if you look at his Twitter, it's hmm. like, you know, um, something in Greek. Just something in Greek. I don't know what it is. Then the next tweet is something about Starlink. The next tweet is something about the New York Times um, causing problems <laughs> with the next the tweet hot is take. Him getting into trouble with the SEC. Only yep. joking. <laughs> <laughs> then it's the kitchen sink, and then twenty minutes ago. So for our listeners, like forty hours ago, <laughs> it's um, some notes app messaging about how. Uh, Twitter advertisers shouldn't worry about his acquisition. Mm. Mm. Well, he's mm. now changed his Twitter bio to Chief Twit <laughs> and lists his oh. location as Twitter HQ. But there are other bits of news as well, because um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a report in the Washington Post saying that he was planning to cut 75% of Twitter's workforce. And there were fears that actually these would be really draconian cuts that would actually make hacks more likely, mean that users were at greater risk of seeing inappropriate content such as child pornography. And in the worst case scenario, there were fears that if Twitter went offline, there wouldn't be experienced staff to bring it back on. <laughs> but Bloomberg has now said that Musk confirmed in, an, in a staff meeting at the headquarters in San Francisco, headquarters incidentally, that he said, should be turned into a homeless shelter. He wait, said, wait, apparently, he said that? He said that, yeah, because people weren't going into the office. He said we should turn Twitter's headquarters into a homeless shelter. You can't see me because this is an audio podcast, but my head is actually in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he said that he's not intending to go through with such drastic layoffs and said the numbers incorrect. There are going to be redundancies. And even before Elon Musk was buying the company, there were going to be redundancies. This isn't a Musk-specific thing, I must say. You know, let's bring this back to crypto. How does Doge mm. fit in? <laughs> well, Doge is up. Doge is really up. <sighs> um, yeah, Doge is up quite substantially. In fact, well, many cryptocurrencies are up on the week. But at the moment, at the time of recording this, Doge is up 30% in the week streets ahead of any other major cryptocurrency um on the brink of overtaking solana um ether's up 20 percent as well but you know doji's uh there's a lot of bullishness about this because elon Musk suggested that dogecoin should be accepted as a payment method for the twitter blue subscription service which is where you can pay to get certain perks such as editing tweets displaying nfts um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether Musk follows through with that and whether Doge ends up being used more widely. I think, uh, although it's a little bit too late for that, we should have some sort of jingle for whenever we talk about Musk and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Okay, yeah, think about it. Okay. Because well, I, th I think it's going to keep happening, so. <laughs> yes. I have this well, feeling. I, I think it's going to be like, do, do you remember when Trump, literally his first couple of days in office nope blacked all it out of this, <laughs> all of this crazy stuff was happening like i'm gonna ban travel from like several countries and people were like what 
Um, I think that once Musk has the keys to Twitter HQ, that the first few days there are going to be some really crazy things happening. Yeah, I just... It's going to be next week, right? It's going to be a fun week. Yeah. Or, or oh, it didn't happen. Darn. You know, like, what? <laughs> so oh, difficult. Miss out yeah. on all those crazy things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll move on to Molly Jane's favorite person. Tell us what has happened with Matt Levine. Oh, I love this. So... I mentioned Matt Levine a lot. He writes the Money Talks newsletter for Bloomberg, and he has a very well, he just, he talks about crypto very well. Last week after the podcast recording ended, Connor said, Molly, no more talking about Matt Levine. Not interesting. Not good for our users. People don't like it. Stop. Uh, and I said, okay, because Connor is the boss of me. So that's fine. I don't care. And what did Matt only Levine do? Only in this do? domain, you're the boss of me. <laughs> like, this, this is the only part of, of, the, of the coin market cat world where I go. I'll listen. I'm not going to fight. Yeah, no, you're the boss. Podcast boss. Podcast um, boss. I was like, okay, fine. And what did Matt Levine do in response to this? He went out and he wrote an entire issue, a 40,000 word issue of Bloomberg of Business magazine all but guaranteeing that we would have to discuss it in this <laughs> for the first podcast. time in 93 years the second time in 93 second time years. sorry yeah there's well, only been one other yeah. time which is when mm-hmm. someone wrote an article called what is code and that that never turned into anything i mean who talks about code anymore that that really went into obscurity <laughs> well yeah so I have to say, I don't actually have the physical copy yet, which I'm bummed about. I need to go to a newsstand. Uh, so do I. I need to get it. Um, I need as to well. figure it out. But yeah, yeah, Matt Levine, just person to look out for. <laughs> <laughs> On a practical note, though, Molly Jane, who has time to read a 40,000 word article? Me. Is this, is this a little bit indulgent? Is, are, are people yes. actually going to read this? <laughs> My one word answers. Um... I'm not sure that people will necessarily read it cover to cover, but I would imagine that for people that are interested in crypto and perhaps of an older generation that does prefer to read in print magazines, this could act as an encyclopedia or a dictionary to be referred to later. Yes. That's what I'm imagining it. Yeah. But what I like about this is... And you, you see, I'm a convert. I mean, I've always enjoyed reading his works. Like, don't get me wrong, but he... He, he he strikes the right tone with this because, you know, he notes the fact that the crypto bros bought Lamborghinis and islands. The ones he bought in early got very rich and they were very annoying about it. And then says, you know, the critics are feeling very satisfied right now after Bitcoin fell from 68,000 to 20,000. But his argument is that crypto isn't going anywhere. He says that he isn't a true believer in crypto. He isn't an investor. He did buy $100 in crypto for the writing of this mammoth article. But his article isn't meant to say crypto's dumb and worthless and will vanish without a trace. His goal is to convince people that crypto is interesting. And the quote from him is that it's found new things to say about old problems. And even when those things are wrong, they're wrong in illuminating ways. This is my entire thesis when people say, why do you work in crypto if you're so skeptical? And my Mm. answer is, it's 
fascinating. It's fascinating to see people make these mistakes, yes. um, come up with products that have no fit for anyone in their sane <laughs> their sane mind, and truly believe in it. I love watching that. I truly love watching it. It is. It's a fa- it's a fascinating thing to watch unfold. Um, and speaking of things that are being built, <laughs> so Fire Festival. Um, you will remember this music festival. It was in 2017. It promised to have glamorous models, luxury villas, amazing music, sensational food on an island in the Bahamas. People turned up. There were damp mattresses, mass chaos, (laughs) dodgy looking cheese on slices of bread. Mm -hmm. Nothing worked out. And it spawned multiple documentaries chronicling how much of a disaster it was. People lost lots of money. Now, a company has said that it's actually going to build 60 ultra-luxurious pavilions and villas on the site where Fire Festival flopped so so spectacularly, and they're going to be sold as NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. What's going on? I just... I can't imagine that anyone would do this even for the laughs. Because it's not a bull market. People don't have sats to spend on silly things like they used to. Mm. Um, I just, I think it's tone deaf. And I think it's at the wrong time. Because there is a time for tone deaf ideas. And it's not right now. Well, Molly Jane, the company behind this um, project, emailed me afterwards and insisted it isn't a publicity stunt. Um, They've got the blessing, apparently, of the Prime Minister of the Bahamas, they say that the project is going to create 150 jobs um, and 125 long-term hospitality jobs. Of course, the people who were involved in trying to bring Fire Festival to life will have heard this before, and many of them didn't end up getting paid. Yeah, no, it's it's just, it's uh, the promises of the, no, absolutely not. Rejected. Mm. Makes no sense. One thing that just really winds me up is we've seen this time and time and time again, and we're going to actually talk about another project that (laughs) suffers from a similar problem. It really winds me up when these projects announce these amazing plans to build resorts and villas and destinations and dozens and dozens of high-end properties and all of this stuff. Um, Because oftentimes, these visions are not matched with reality. I think... They have their own concept of reality that doesn't mm. match with anyone else but their but their own. Yeah, because Acon City, you will remember, <laughs> was unveiled back in 2018. 2018, and years later, building work is still yet to begin. But in a new interview with a guy called DJ Vlad, Ooh. the um, R&B star said that the first phase of the project in Senegal is on track to open in 2026. And he blamed COVID for a lack of progress on construction, which I do get. He said that over this time, though, while the building work hasn't been taking place, the paperwork side of things looking very healthy. Do we need a crypto city? It feels a little bit to me like Elon Musk saying, let's turn Twitter headquarters into a homeless shelter. Like, are there other ways to help countries? Do we have to, like, build crypto in them? I don't don't know. But a crypto city could show how crypto payments could work in everyday life, no? Yeah, but does it have to be Acon City? It's like, 
Do we need a Molly city and a Connor city with our own coins? I, I just, uh, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But on the other hand, I love Akon's music. So it's like a difficult, difficult to hold the, these opinions. The thing is, if his really grand claims are matched with, you know, if he, put, if, if, if he pulls this off, it would be amazing for Senegal. I mean, Acon City had a proposed budget of $6 billion. That's just 30% less than the entire country of Senegal had in 2020. It would be a huge investment for this African nation. Um, and to be honest, he has to pull this off because there will be so many people in Senegal and in that part of Africa you know, who are relying on this. They want this. They want to have that investment. They want to have something futuristic. They want to be forward-facing. I mean, El Salvador has shown that a Bitcoin country is not an immediate success. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of education, um, a lot of innovation. Yes. Uh, I mean... Could Acon City work because it's being done on a smaller scale by just not by by someone who is not a politician um, that's sort of coming in as this investor? Perhaps, hmm. perhaps. Um, I also don't think that a six year timeline for building a city is too long. That's very fast to build a city. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't think this is a scam or or the worst idea in the world. I just I don't see anything happening. And I'm not sure COVID is to blame. I think that I'm I'm not confident this will actually ever exist. That's where I'm. That's where I've landed. So, are we agreed then that we we just think that this these sixty luxury villas on the Fire Festival site and Acon City just won't happen? I don't think either of them will happen. No, neither no. do I. Do you think uh, Bitcoin City in El Salvador will happen? I think it's more likelier, but I also don't think it will happen. Okay. more we'll likely to, mm -hmm. we'll have to revisit this in a couple of years won't we <laughs> i know good thing we've signed a contract to do this podcast until the day we die have we oh great <laughs> crumpet is a brilliant agent um i really really need to give him a raise well that is it for this week's edition of the coin market recap podcast with connor and molly jane thank you molly jane for joining us thank you for having me it's been really good. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. Do leave us a review if you can, because it helps us reach new listeners. I will be back with you on Monday. And me and Molly Jane, of course, will be reunited again next week when we'll do it all again and find out what the hell has happened since we last talked. It's very and exciting. Yes, it's going to be a big week next week. There's going to be lots of stuff going on. Because so I'll be we'll tuning in from... Guess the country. <laughs> Where are you going to be? Portugal. Ooh, gorgeous. Portugal's mm -hmm. lovely. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Absolutely stunning. Well, have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now.